Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Lena Dunham has been called a lot of things. Visionary, groundbreaking, outspoken, shameless. In her young career, she's been praised as a creative innovator and a multi-hyphenate mogul. She's been championed for her activism. Lena blasted into the zeitgeist at just 23, and she's been making headlines ever since. Whether it's for her work, her tweets, her political causes, her body, even her dog. She's a polarizing figure, no doubt, and among other things, Lena has become a master of the public apology. But after 10 years in the spotlight, Lena remains unapologetically herself. Lena's debut film, Tiny Furniture, was the breakout success of 2010. And in 2011, she created Girls with producing partner Jenny Connor. With its brutally honest and intimate look at the lives of its four female leads, the show incited a radical shift in pop culture depictions of young womanhood and cemented Lena's status as a bona fide hitmaker. A year after that, she wrote the best-selling essay collection, Not That Kind of Girl. And in 2015, Lena and Jenny founded Lenny Letter, a digital outlet for feminist writing, community, and artwork. By the time Girls ended in 2017, the duo had launched a book imprint too, and their production company, A Casual Romance. Lena was working nonstop, but she was also working through pain. She was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2011, and went through numerous surgeries before ultimately having a hysterectomy. Lena chose to share her medical journey publicly, both in her writing and on her no-holds-barred Instagram account. Fans praised Lena for being so open and unfiltered, literally and figuratively. And that's really been at the root of her ethos, regardless of public reaction, which when it comes to Lena, is always a given. Over the years, Lena's been censured for things she's said or written, or the body parts she refuses to hide. She pays no mind to the body shamers, but when criticism comes from her own audience, Lena takes it to heart. She's learned a lot about what it means to be white, wealthy, cisgendered, and famous. She's as outspoken as ever, but now, Lena says, she prefers to listen first. There's no question 2018 has been a year of great change. Lena ended her long-term relationship with musician Jack Antonoff, as well as her work-wife partnership with Jenny Connor. Their final series as producing partners, Camping, debuts this October. Lena remains close friends with both, but she's also eager to strike out on her own, and so are we. Given everything she's accomplished already, it's hard to say what may be in the works or on the horizon. But one thing's pretty much certain, whatever Lena Dunham does, we'll all be watching. Lena Dunham, thank you so much for being a guest on Unstyle today. Thank you. It's so exciting to have you here. It's an honor, Christine. I wanted to go back a little bit, if you're open to it, and talk about Tiny Furniture. Yeah. I just realized it's been exactly nine years since I shot that movie. Like, starting at the beginning of November. I started shooting at the beginning of November in 2009. So it's been, yeah. 
I love that movie, and I recently rewatched it in preparation to see you. I remember seeing Tiny Furniture in the theater. You remember, you know, by the Joyce Theater in Chelsea, or is it like that movie theater right there? Yeah, it, it was. It was like during the day, and it was like half full. And I remember thinking, like, there was some kind of profound turning point with that movie coming out because I didn't know who you were, and I don't. I guess at that point, nobody did, or or not that many people did. That movie, uh, having watched it recently, it's really. There's something so relevant about it right now. Tell me a little bit about like making it and also the relationship with your mother, because I think that she sort of factors in. So and I've read some interviews with you about your relationship with your mom and the fact that that movie was almost a love letter to your mother. Yeah, well, it's funny. The other day I was saying to somebody, my mom's always been so insistent that the character that I wrote in Tiny Furniture wasn't her. Like she was like, that wasn't me. You were asking me to do something really different than me. And she's right. But it was also like. It was the closest thing I could do to approximating her. Like maybe some of her was lost in translation or who she feels she is. But but yeah, the, when I wrote Tiny Furniture, I wrote it when I was 23. I was still living with my parents. I stayed living with them basically till I was 26. And it was complicated. Like you have that thing, you're soon to know it with a daughter, which is like you have that thing where you love your mom and you're obsessed with your mom and you appreciate your mom, but you also want distance from your mom and you want to resist live in some sort of opposition to your mom. And it was just a very, very, very complicated period of time that I tried as best as I could to capture in that movie. And in a lot of ways, like, that movie was also what changed my relationship with my mom because it got me a job. It got me out of the house. It started my career. Then my career had such a... um, you know, a complex effect on my family as any young person growing into themselves does, but maybe it's it's like highlighted when you're public and you're sharing aspects of your private life publicly. And so I feel like now my relationship to my parents, but specifically my mother is like really coming back into focus. Like I'm just starting to think about how to tell stories about my family again, only this way, um, this time in a way that's like maybe a little bit less invasive to them. So how did you know how to how to make tiny furniture? Because that's another thing that I find kind of remarkable. It's a perfect story. It, I mean in terms of structurally. Well that's amazing of you to say. It's was such a weird accident, that movie in a way. Like, how did I know? Well the fact is is I surrounded myself with really smart filmmakers. Everyone from my producer, Alicia Vancouvering, who's still one of my best friends, and my other producer, Kyle Martin, who I've just worked with on um an animated film that he's producing, and Jody Lee Lipes, my cinematographer, and Lance Edmonds, my editor. Like they were just a bunch of really like they had all gone to film school and they knew the rules. And so I wrote this script and I had a sense of what I wanted it to feel like and I cast it, but they were like, they like knew how to make things. And so in a way, like, I mean, one of our biggest jobs as filmmakers is to just surround ourselves with people who kind of know how to do their jobs better than we do. And so that was a big part of it. And then also it's like, you know, I'm sure you found this when you started your company. It's like sometimes you benefit from the things you don't know. Oh, 100%. Because you're not following any rules. You don't, always, just... you don't always know it in the moment, though. No, in the moment it feels terrifying. And you're like, everybody went to some class except me. But like, <laughs> and it's horrible, horrible. No, but I think that that's like a part of becoming good at what you do is yeah. having to consistently be vulnerable. So I want to talk a little bit about like where you are in your life right now. You have, you had two pretty significant relationships. I wouldn't say pretty, very significant relationships 
that came to an end, and you're sort of like at the beginning of a lot of new things. You have a new show coming out. Yeah, October 14th is when we premiere. October 14th, Camping on HBO. But tell me about, I think, the partnership with Jenny and just the fact that, you know, you guys started as business partners and obviously developed such a deep sisterhood and friendship over the years that I think so many of us really admired, you know, observing and seeing all the incredible things that you made and all the different artists that you supported and just the different initiatives that you developed together was really, was really remarkable. But how have you been feeling since those two things have kind of been concluding and you're at the beginning of some new things? You know, it's a really complicated time. I mean, I think all of us know that change is equally magical and terrifying. So you can wake up in the morning feeling excited about the world of possibility available to you and by evening you're like shaking in your boots because it just feels like too much. Like I go through so many phases just throughout any given day um, emotionally and I'm very connected to, I mean I'm not... Right now, I don't feel like there's there's moments in our lives where we're just like sort of, you know, in the flow of our day and busy, busy, busy. And, you know, just we just care about like, you know, getting to our meeting and getting to our yoga class and getting to our dinner or whatever. Like, I mean, I've never gotten to a yoga class, but I just am sort of like trying to describe there's the there's the thing where you're like in your routine. And then there's this thing where you're deeply in your feelings, as the kids say. And like, that's more where I've been like I do other things but the primary activity of every day for me is just sort of like like feeling a lot of different stuff and um it's been hard it's been complicated I mean you know Jenny and I had it was the most significant relationship of my adult life it was incredibly meaningful and profound and I think you can know that you know you need to keep moving and 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 work in a different way and it can still be very sad and I never want to you know speak for her but I just know that that's a decision that was made with like a lot of love and a lot of connection and I just you know I always want to I always want to consider her and the work that we've done together will always you know did you learn a lot from her yeah she's like I she like taught me how to be an adult like she's the person who was like you know you need to like, you know, not like buy 72 things at Urban Outfitters, then throw them away. Just like buy a nice <laughs> pair of jeans. She was like, go get, here's how you deal with, like That's wash a your, friend. such a good friend, wash your face. Like, you know, <laughs> here's how you deal with, uh, you know, I mean, she taught me a lot about when I was going through the typical struggles of with, in my twenties with my friends. She taught me a lot about dealing with that. She taught me a lot about engaging the professional realm. I never really had a real job without her and so it's unless you count like you know being a babysitter so so yes it's it's huge and it's emotional and um but I'm really proud of the work that we did together on the show and she did such an amazing job as a director and you know well it'll these things always they move through their different iterations and then you find the one that's the most comfortable what do you think she learned from you Oh, I think that's for her to say. I mean, she's she's been she was always very, you know, kind um to me and made me feel like I was an equal and part of things, which I'll always be grateful for. So, let's talk about social media. Oh, brother. 
Well, you have a really sort of, I don't want to call it complicated, but I would say complex relationship with social media. Yeah, complex is a great way of putting it. And I think that it's been really satisfying to to follow you lately because I feel like you've kind of taken it to another level in terms of just sharing just different things that you're thinking about and kind of ruminating over and just processing really and just really kind of yeah. sharing that process with with your audience, but it's actually really beautiful to see the comments that you inspire and incite, specifically on Instagram. I'm not as, I don't, I don't do as much digging on Twitter. It's a Twitter's little... a rougher scene, I think. Okay. I wouldn't say there's much of a like, as much, like, there's not as much of like a angry far right male contingent on Instagram, at least not one that I think there may be more fringe there. Like I would say Instagram is just a generally more positive community that, and on just like a tech level it seems to me like that the controls are better handled and that they're whatever the controls and the algorithms are like they're just keeping people safer there's been a lot of conversation about the fact that like women lgbtq people people of color are not kept safe by twitter twitter is like not a platform that's designed to engender like constructive conversation there's a lot of hacking now too which is really scary i mean there are some writers on our team that have been dealing with that as well. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of anarchy. Oh my God. But let's yeah. talk about the post particularly that I cried and cried over. And it wasn't even, it wasn't a sad post. It was just a really beautiful post. And I think that it was a revelation for so many, not even just women, but people when you, when you posted the pictures of you side by side um, and the, the weight gain picture. Well, just the weight variation, yeah, you know. That's it was a, a weight, better way of putting it, weight variation. It was a weight variation. And, you know, because Girls is such an important show to me and so many people that I know. And I remember how under the microscope you were when that was really, you know, at its height. Yeah. And how much pressure that – it really got me to thinking about what your life must have been like at that time when you were, you know, 135 pounds or whatever it was that was on the left – and just how you kind of gave some context as to what it felt like to be here right now. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like, that was actually when I lost all the weight was right after Girls Wrapped. And I was really unsure about who I was. Like, I just didn't – Girls had so defined my identity for my entire 20s. I had turned 30. I was super sick physically. I had not yet gotten a hysterectomy, but I was in a lot of pain. I was in constant pain. And I was sort of like, okay, I know that I was allowed to be – this specific size for girls and to play this character. But now I'm like going to go out into the world and have a career. And I sort of like equated being an adult with like getting it together and getting it together with like stopping eating food. And it was crazy because, you know, the weight I had been in the hospital in the summer of 2016 and then I'd gotten um, C. diff, which is like a hospital infection. That's basically just like the worst. I mean, I hate this word. I'm sorry to say it, but it's just like the worst diarrhea you've ever had. Like just like I was living, literally living off Pedialyte and rice and like probiotics. Like it was repulsive. And then suddenly my appetite went away. The weight started to fall off. And then even if people know you as like a person who's, you know, engaged in a positive relationship with your body, the affirmation you get when you start to lose weight is like, even if you've worked really, really, really hard to change your relationship to that stuff, suddenly you're getting this kind of affirmation that like, at least for me, I didn't realize that I'd probably always low-key dreamed of. And then I was like, okay, well, that's working. I guess I'm going to continue to, like, you know, eat once every three days. And and it was like... And have diarrhea. And have diarrhea. And I felt so bad. And I And it was weird because I would look in the mirror and I would, like, take these pictures of myself 
because I was like, well, I guess that's what you do when you weigh 135 pounds. I felt so disembodied and strange and like, and it wasn't about the weight. It was about just not being in my form. Like I look back, there's this picture that I've never shared, but it's like, I'm literally, I'm looking in the mirror and it's like my underwear are baggy. Like what you have to do to like have baggy underwear. And it's like, there's something that's like, so my like underwear baggy and like my hair is like thin and I just look sad. And, but there's also a part of you that looks at that picture and it actually was a huge wake up call for me because I used to spend so much time projecting onto thin women. Like I would project that they were happy. I would project that they were secure. I would project that they got the kind of attention that they wanted. I would project that they were successful. I would project that they felt more energized. Like I just – everything I didn't feel, I was was convinced that they did. And the thing I guess I've really realized in the last couple of years, especially as I've seen other people project onto me, like, okay, because you – have a successful career in entertainment because you're financially secure because you, you know, at one point, because you date a guy who's a rock star, whatever, like people projecting a certain level of comfort onto me that I didn't have. Like, I feel like the big revelation, I was just texting with my best friend Scotty today. And I just said to her, it's so hard for everyone. It's just so hard for everyone. And like, that doesn't mean it's not beautiful and great, but it's like, I don't know anyone where if you crack the only people I know who aren't struggling mightily are people who have struggled mightily in the past and have found some way to some new way to to, be to be like people who have like a high spiritual program because they are working with their pain but I don't know anyone who just like came in gangbusters to the world and is enjoying it like that's just not how it works no, and those people that you're talking about, like, have have consistently been through a long and sort of difficult, sometimes difficult, I don't want to make assumptions, path to getting to that place of, of I don't want to say consciousness, but awareness, you know, of who yeah. they are and, like, what sort of works for them. It really takes time. And I feel like I'm on that – I feel like I'm, for the first time in my life, can say I'm on that path. It's not happening, but it's like, you know – I'm tr- I'm working on it, and I got up on Thursday morning. I knew I had this, like, week of press coming up, and I wanted to do something nice. So my friend from college who I hadn't seen in a couple of years, he's, like, a – he's a really smart installation artist who literally lives in, like, a tiny electricity-free cabin on the east side of Los Angeles. And I was – he was, like, we haven't hung out in a while. What should we do? And I was, like, should we go watch the sunrise? So, like, I wake up at, like, consistently 11 every morning. Uh-huh. I set my alarm for 3.45 in the morning, like, put my fleece on, got in an Uber, went You're over to on his London house. Time. So, yeah, it was insane. <laughs> like, put an, got a fleece on, put went over to his house. He had, like, a thermos of coffee. We got in his car. We drove to the top of a mountain. We watched the sunrise. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Guys, and in my head I was just like, this is insane, but it's like 
I have to do stuff like this just to jog myself out of whatever this whatever this stasis stasis this like this like pain body is. I love that. How do you feel about talking about health and, Great. and all that stuff? It's really important to me. It's really like why go through it if you can't talk about it? I know. I think that we have something in common. We've you know, we've been open about our our journey and our experiences, you know, sort of struggling with our bodies and yeah. and kind of sort of wrestling, you know, this relationship, you know, that we have with ourselves. And, you know, for me, for a long time, I, I couldn't get successfully pregnant. I kept getting pregnant, having a lot of miscarriages. And, and it went on for a decade and, you know, oh just my beating God. myself up and just feeling like, you know, my body doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And, and you simultaneously were, you know, having in some periods of your life when everything seemed so perfect for you yeah. because you were on top of the world and Girls was like the most successful show on the planet and you weighed 135 pounds. Yeah. And um, and I think you were struggling with endometriosis. And how do you feel about the thing that kind of came to me that I wasn't expecting was just all the people that came forward and emailed me and texted me and DM'd me and commented on social media about the fact that they were in the very same situation, in some cases much worse than mine. And I, for the first time, felt so much less alone in my, in, in just like this, this sadness and also just this, this kind of hopelessness that you get into because you just feel like it's never going to be better. It's never going to change. But did you feel like at a certain point when you were sharing your process, especially like sort of this path towards having a hysterectomy, that you were going to kind of represent something for, for women? I think I just hoped I could be helpful in some way. I realized I felt so alone in the experience. I felt so alone because for a while I didn't know why I felt so bad. I didn't have a diagnosis, or when I did have a diagnosis, I didn't think it was enough. I didn't think it was enough of a reason to feel as bad as I did because I knew that people had endometriosis, but I didn't know that it could range. So I knew other women who had endometriosis, but I didn't know anyone who had it the way that I had it. So I thought, okay, there's something wrong with me because I can't deal with it. It's like everybody else, and what, I, and I was also like always the person who would like get a cold and be like, I can't come to work. I feel totaled. And other people were like coming to work and taking a Sudafed. But what I didn't realize was my body was so, nobody told me that endometriosis also has an autoimmune component. So when I would get a cold. It wiped you out. It wiped me out. And, or when I would one, when I would get inflammation in one spot, everything else would act up. Or the fact that endometriosis no one ever told me that it had full body ramifications that it could have an effect on your you know that it could cause muscular pain that it could cause headaches like I just didn't have any kind of information and I never read a story that was like mine and it wasn't until I started finding other women really Instagram actually it was like how I made connections with other women who were dealing with what I was dealing with who normalized it a little bit for me because I was so scared and lonely and confused and worried that it was going to, you know, I thought like, is this going to ruin my life? Am I never going to be able to work again? Or I didn't understand like, like now I'm 10 months out from my hysterectomy, almost 11 and, or yeah, just 11. And it's like, it really is next Monday. It'll be 11 months since I had it. And it's like, I still don't feel normal. Like my body is still reconfiguring itself, but like, 
you know, we hear all these stories about people like, especially in Hollywood, it's like, I got a laparoscopic procedure and I was back at work five days later. Like, I just didn't know how any of it was supposed to work. And everybody is like, it's like such a badge of honor for everybody. Like, hey, I had my baby and five minutes later I was answering my emails. Like, it's like. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's really funny, though, because you're right. Everyone's like, or a lot of people are really like that. Well, in our business, everyone's like, yeah, I took a good solid two weeks after I had the baby. And I was like, I can't. That's okay. Do anything. It's like I can bear I have to take like 10 minutes after I pee just to collect myself. So it's like I had to really really wrestle a lot with like conceptions of myself. Like like I had to like be like okay, my worth is not linked up to like, you know, my ability to make it to every single appointment. My worth is not like linked up to even it can't even be linked up to my ability to leave the house every day because some days I can't and mm -hmm. that has to be okay too. And you have to form a community of people who understand that like the way you show love might be different. Like, like I have to have friends who basically understand that like whether I make it to their birthday party or not is not an indicator of how much I love them and that like that like the way I'm able to be there for them is different than the way that other people might be able to be there for them. But it took me time and I'm still working on not promising that I can do what other people can do because like every single one of us has different abilities and different circumstances and different strengths and like that has to be okay. I think that's something that so many of us who have been through really difficult, you know, health crises or just, you know, kind of emotional transformations. It's like the friends that really are there for you, the ones that just let you be who you are and are yeah. really not just supportive, but don't make you feel like you're a freak and that you are, it's all in your head. Because I yeah. think that when when I was going through my stuff, there were some friends that were just like, you know what, maybe you're not going to be a mother and that's okay. And that was not like the mindset that, that I needed to be in. That wasn't what you wanted to hear. No. And I think that, you know, people mean well, and I'm sure that people in your life certainly meant well too. But I think that it it is sort of this moment of clarity and, and a certain maturity that comes when you realize that you have to really separate yourself from other people's stuff. Yeah. You know? and, and it was really important to me, the most important quality in friends for me besides you know them being funny and great and whatever is like my friends who let me grieve after my hysterectomy or who understood that one day I might be like I'm really glad I did that it was a really good choice I'm so grateful to have control over my body and then two days later I might be really sad again you know and that like that's not a process that's gonna let like end when after six months or 12 months or it may not end for two years. Like, I just don't know. And the people who let it be, who understand that, like, grieving and coming to terms with big emotional decisions in life, like, it's not always just, like, a clear upward trajectory. Like, things are – it's just really complicated. And I feel so lucky. That's one of the reasons I feel so lucky for my family, my sibling, and my parents. Like, they understand and they're there no matter what. Like, I was having a really hard health day on Saturday. I was really, like, I think a lot of women were really activated by this really hard week and by the Kavanaugh hearings. And I know a lot of women who I know who have a history of trauma felt extremely re-traumatized. And women I know who have um, chronic illness felt like they were 
flared and activated by it. And so I needed to fly to New York for press and my body was just in revolt. And I was on the airplane and basically every one of my systems that gets like I had a migraine and my muscles hurt and my and I had ovarian pain and I was texting with my parents. I was on like the go-go Wi-Fi and I just texted my parents and I was like, this is a really hard flight and I'm just going to need you guys to be here this entire time if I need you. And so like every like 30 minutes, I'd be like, what are you guys doing? They'd be like, we're watching TV. Then I'd be like, what are you doing? They're like, we're still watching TV. But like <laughs> it was just I looked back on the text and I'm like so surprised they didn't have me committed. Like at one point in the in I was texting my mom and I was like, I just pray that this flight lands and that I'm able to hold your hand again someday. And they were like, OK, calm down. But it was so nice to know that like they were in it with you they were in it with me and then today didn't make it a big deal no and then today when i was okay and able to go do press they were okay with that too like what a nice thing no that's a beautiful thing the unstyled podcast is made possible by refinery 29 and airy your body positive go-to for intimates and loungewear you know exactly what you'd want to wear while binge listening to your favorite podcast. Never retouched and always real, Aerie gives you the everyday pieces that make you feel confident, strong, and always the real you in your own style. So I want to talk about camping. Yeah, I think that first of all, Jennifer Garner stars in this in this new show, and she's a really peculiar character. And yeah, she's um, a loon. She really is. But I think that there's something there's something really appealing about somebody that wants so badly for everyone to sort of fall in line and have fun on their watch, and everyone is just like groaning in the background and just can't like take it. Oh my God, they're so annoyed. We but all also... know somebody like that. But and in some cases, I've been that person. Me too, 100%. We all know somebody like that. And then what's kind of great also is that like, we all know someone like that and we complain about them, but we're also always like really scared to defy them. Like, like, like the Jennifer Garner character, like everyone's complaining about her, but they're not just going like, no, like we're all too scared to say no to that person in a way. I know I am. She's and I, really scary. Yes. I mean, I hate enforced fun more than anything in the world. Like, like if I go on a trip and I'm handed like, like any time. An itinerary. I, it's disgusting. Oh. Like that's one of the reasons I don't do like, you know how like in our, in our business there will be like retreats where mm -hmm. like people go to like, you know, there will be like a. A retreat for thinkers or whatever, you know. Yes, I 100% I know. But I can't do one because if there's an itinerary, like, it's best to just assume that, like, I'll make it to one of the things. It's like, choose the one you need me to be at because the rest of these aren't going to happen. Yeah, I don't really consider myself much of a joiner, too. I actually put on my – I didn't want to have a baby shower and, and – and a friend of mine told me, you're going to end up having a baby shower. Everyone's going to pressure you into doing it. I'm like, no, they're not. I'm like 49 years old. I'm like, no one's going to tell me what to do. And I couldn't believe, like, the amount of investment people had made and in, in after, I guess, my process having a baby shower. But I was like, it's going to be the most un-baby shower baby. And they were like, occasionally I get these emails, you want to have a game? I was like, no, I'm not wearing a hat. I'm not doing any of those things. I keep getting invited to game nights. And my thing about game night is, like, it always sounds like maybe this will be the time, but like 
no it's just <laughs> it's just a no no i like like it's not the time yeah it's not the time but what appeals to you about about jennifer garner's character and why did you want to make this movie you adapted it from we, um, jenny and i adapted this from a british show by julia davis who's like if you haven't seen her work she made different shows nighty night Hunterbeat, human remains she has a new show coming out called sally forever she's the most brilliant weirdo in the world and um we loved it just as a world for people to explore and like it's such a like the woods are such a kooky and joyful location for um something like this but and but I think what was appealing to me about you know there were definitely people who were like who have watched or you know read in early iteration or watched who've been like this character's too much she's too much like you can't we were we were always were like told Hannah was an unlikable central force on girls, and this is like makes Hannah look like she's like Mary Tyler Moore. Like this is a whole other level <laughs> of thing, which is part of why it's appealing to me. And also the idea of this person who's like who's like narcissism extends to like needing to corral everyone around them, and then they think because they're corralling everyone around them that they're like incredibly generous. Yeah. Like, it's my favorite type of person, the one who's like, I give and I give and I give. And what do I get back for it? It's like anyone who's saying that isn't actually giving. I think I've said that. Maybe, I mean, maybe. we've all said like. I just I just need to be honest. I feel like and throughout this sort of course of my life, I may have been one of those people. I recently overheard somebody saying, what did she say? It was amazing. I just overheard someone at a group function talking about how she loves too much. And it's just so hard for her because she loves too much. And I like was like, I hope this woman doesn't know that I'm literally taking notes on her right now. The idea that it's so hard for you because you just love too much is my favorite. That it that should be on a t-shirt. Yeah. I would buy that. I know. I love Amazon. too much. <laughs> Me too. I love too much. Um Me so, too. so you're you're just at the beginning of this deck of like what has been my favorite decade, the like thirty to forty. I'm so excited. I'm honestly so excited. It's it's, I mean, I'm, I'm so happy where I am in my life right now, but there's just something so new and there's a certain kind of strength that I think um, I had when I, when I was in my 30s and a, a sort of courage that I didn't have when I was younger. I felt a lot more fearful about not taking the sort of, you know, the, the sort of expected path. But 30s was just like, I mean, um, my 30s to 40s just felt like, I can do anything and it doesn't matter if I fuck it up. I'm just going to do anything. So what do you want to do in the, in the years to come? You kind of have an open slate right now. I do. You know, I'm working on a bunch of stuff sort of, but it, none of what's kind of nice is I'm working on a bunch of stuff that's all kind of in its infancy. Um, really, I want to focus on writing. Like I think that there was a lot of moments in my twenties where like I didn't know what to do with the eyes that were on me. And so I thought my job was to be like, you know, Obviously, it's a very important moment to be politically engaged, but I thought my job was to be like, you know, the loudest, most busy, most active, most present, most noisy, most feminist, most, most, most. And it's like there were amazing things that came out of all of it, but there was also a cost to me personally, and I didn't do it all well all the time. And so now I'm really trying to focus on writing and being a constructive member of my community, and my community is to me something now smaller than what it was before like it used to be like I thought my job was like to be you know like a 
an important voice for women in Hollywood, an important voice for, you know, body positive, important voice for, for this in the world. And now I'm like, that's all great. But really, I just want to be like a solid, strong, connected friend, a good daughter, a loving sibling and and a writer and a writer. That's all I that's all I dream of. I think that that's and a... I want to grow back the hairs that I lost when I was when I had my hysterectomy when all my hair shocked out of my head. Those are my true goals. At, because of a surgery? Yeah, has that ever happened to you? Oh yeah, no. You were talking when you were talking about laparoscopic surgery. I had two of them, and literally it happened like spontaneously. Two months later, all of a sudden it was just like. No, it was crazy. My hair all just like fell out of my head, and I couldn't believe. It's like you hear things like that, and you're like, "That's not going to happen to me," and like. No, it totally I, happens it to you. It happened to me. And then I started eating those sugar bear hair vitamins that the Kardashians were hacking, hawking, which is like an ex- psychotic thing to do to be like, I'm just going to continue to behave exactly the way I'm behaving, but start eating a gummy bear every day and my hair's going to grow back. But I had a paintbrush actually growing out of my like center part for like a while. It was like a little, it was like a little, it was like a, a, like, what do you call it? A mohawk that was growing out of my part because of all the new hair that was growing. Well, look at your beautiful hair now. You're giving me inspiration and hope. You're very kind. Also, you have that nice thing. Like, you know, when someone's pregnant and like, they're like, like skin's really glowy and their mouth's really full. And like, you're having all that, like you're ha- all the good things that are promised to us. Thank you. It's called happy. swelling. You should see my ankles. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, thank you for that. Lena Dunham. It's such a pleasure to have it's you on Style today. It's an honor to be here with you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I adore you. I adore you back. And if, for the audience who can't see, her dress is very chic. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. I hope you're inspired after hearing Lena's story. For even more unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to the Unstyled podcast on iTunes and rate us while you're there. You can head to refinery29.com to find this episode and more. And make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was executive produced by Bridget Todd, associate produced by Rebecca Easley, and edited by Priscilla Mena. Copy support was provided by Kelsey Miller, and talent was booked by Dana Stern. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. We'll see you back here next Monday for a conversation with Ilaria Baldwin on the future-facing culture of motherhood. See you then.